0: Our speaker tonight is Ali Al-Yami, and he is the Founder and Executive Director of the Center for Democracy and Human Rights in Saudi Arabia, which means he'll never work his way out of a job, (laughs) but I'll leave the talk to him. He's based in Washington, D.C. He is a native of Saudi Arabia. And uh, the foundation, is educational foundation, uh, examines uh, Saudi policies, domestically, foreign policy, and particularly how they impact the United States and its interests. Previously, Dr. Al-Yami was a senior fellow at the Saudi Institute in Washington, D.C. He's held other positions, a representative for the Arab Organization for Human Rights, Cairo-based group. (coughs) Excuse me. And he holds a PhD in government from Claremont Graduate University, uh, studied at a time in which we discovered we were both there. Uh, Dr. Al-Yami, was very hard to pin down every time i thought i was closing in on a date poof he was gone to brussels or uh somewhere else in europe the middle east california and the reason is is because he is in such high demand uh obviously due to his expertise and also the positions he holds on the issues that we address so it is uh And and of course, amongst those audiences are various congressional committees that have called upon him. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Ali Al-Yam.
1: Thank you, uh, Dr. Riley. We we were both at the same same time at the same school. I'm sure we have, it's a very small school, so I'm sure we have spoken to each other 40 years ago. (laughs) That tells you how young are we. Uh, First, I want to thank all of you for coming here. Thank you, Robert, for insisting and persisting that I should come and share with this distinguished group of people my expertise, uh, the information I know. Uh, First of uh, all, I'm a human rights activist. I do not promote policies. I'm not against (coughs) policies. I am only against totalitarianism, dictatorship, Violators of human rights, uh, oppressor of women and religious minorities. Those people are the ones who, not individually or personal, but their policies. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Is, is this okay with you too? Okay. First of all, I want also to say that when I took my oath of citizenship 40 years ago, I put my and here, I, was, I swore my allegiance to the flag of the United States. I didn't swore allegiance to a party, to an individual, to a congressman or woman, to a CEO of a big multinational. Frankly speaking, I didn't care about any of these people. I only swore allegiance to the flag and to the country. And there is no more time when we need more Americans to see the country first. Not the party, not the congressman and woman, because frankly speaking, I deal with them all the time. And so as my friend here, Claire Lopez, whom I know for many years, we deal with them a lot and they are corrupt to the bones. Most of them, not all of them, but most. So we know. We are in the belly of the beast. I am told that you are all experienced people, knowledgeable people, uh, informed people. So I'll keep my uh, remarks very short. Then you will have chance to ask questions because I might be repeating something that you all have regurgitated for many years. The title of this talk is The unpredictable Future of Saudi Arabia. And it has never been unpredictable than it is now for many different reasons, domestic, external, lack of money, a youth a country, most of its six, 26 million populations are below 25 years of age. So they grow up with smartphone, computer, satellite TV, so frankly speaking, the overwhelming majority of the Saudi people spend more time on <coughs> in Googling information from all the world, including pornography, than they do in mosque or praying. So religion for most Saudis is of no relevance at all, even though they may go to pray or listen to their fathers, or listen, unlike me, when I was growing up in Saudi Arabia, there was absolutely nothing for me except praying, fasting, and obey authority. Most Saudi population today don't do any of that stuff. They are afraid, of course. They have to praise the king and his son, and, and everything else. They, ha- they have to do that because, because there is no more, at least at this point, especially since Prince Mohammed came to power, uh, the, the oppression and suppression and terrorism against the Saudi people have never been higher than it is right now. Even though our media, not all of it, but a lot of our media, especially prior to this assassination of Jamal Khashoggi, he was, he was a hero to them and he was a modernizer and he was going to recreate a new state and he's going to, well, he's not. Frankly speaking, Prince Mohammed, is the least educated person of King Salman's sons. He has a bunch of them. He's is least educated, especially secularly. He went to Saudi school. He studied Sharia law, which is one of the most backward uh, system in the world. Everybody knows that. Nobody knows more than Claire Lobos because she has studied it more than I do, actually. So the thing here is the the country's unpredictable future as the result of a breaking of the old Saudi tradition, the Saudi royal family tradition, when the things got arranged among the family. Compromise, bargaining, and then the senior son of the king will probably become the king. They have to divide the, 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 the piece of cake, who is going to get what. And So they agree to all of this before a king even needed to be king long before that. So when the when the when the king when the current king die dies, then the second one is already known to everybody. Well when when King Salman took over in twenty fifteen <coughs> January twenty fifteen, when King Abdullah died, he eliminated that traditional process. And he actually marginalized all of the princes, some of them are very powerful. I mean, you have 2,000 active princes, and, and maybe 10,000 children, grandchildren, and distant relatives and stuff like that. It's a big, it's a, it's a tribe by itself, I mean, the royal family. So he eliminated the traditional transition and put all of the power in his son's hands. His sons, not, not cousins, not like the, the, the old tradition. And now the Saudi people, wh- with whom I'm in touch all the time, discreetly, indirectly, you know, cheatingly, but I'm in touch with them. A lot of people, intellectuals, media people, women, uh, Saudi women uh, who are now, many of them are being tortured and raped in prison. You didn't hear much about it in our media. You didn't hear our prisons <coughs> speaking. He he, Human rights is not in our current government agenda at all. So. Uh, the, 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 <laughs> the, da- the biggest danger to, this, to, to the current system and to, the, and to the, the stability of the country is not actually from abroad. It's not from Iran. It's not from Israel. It's not from anybody. It's from within. It's from within. You have a large group of princes who have been marginalized and, and imprisoned, and actually their property have been confiscated. By, by this Prince Muhammad and his father. So now it becomes, the Saudis call it the kingdom of the Salmans, Salman's kingdom, because all the power now are in Salman's son's hands. The, the security, the military, the economy, the uh, heritage, everything is in their hands. Everybody else is gone. Those people and then the religious establishment have been curtailed not because, uh, because King Salman himself is, is, a, is extremely uh, reactionary Islamist. He's one of the, his brothers. He's an Islamist himself, actually. He said, he said Wahhabism and the Sharia law are the only hope for humanity. So if you guys don't become Sharia followers, mm-hmm. and if you don't become, <laughs> if you did not become, Quran readers, you all go to hell, mm-hmm. as far as he is concerned. But they said, this is documented, I, one thing about me, I will not tell you anything that I cannot substantiate, because <coughs> that's all I have to offer. My, my, that's my credibility, actually. So the, gov- the, 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 the royal family have been fragmented, marginalized, and they are mad like hell. Most of them actually are under house arrest. They cannot leave the country. One of the people you probably have heard about or know about is uh, Prince al the multi-billionaire guy. Uh, he was among the people that was incarcerated in the Ritz Hotel in, in uh, Riyadh. Most, most of his, he uh, has empire all over the, the world, actually. <coughs> that is taken away from him. It's managed now by somebody other than him. He cannot leave the country. He cannot leave the country. In his he, 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 one of the biggest punishment. This is interesting. F- something for you to know. One of the biggest punishment the Saudi government does is not to let you leave the country. And that tells you, I'm mean Saudi Arabia. <laughs> that tells you the punishment is to live in the country. That's exactly what. It, that's exactly what it is. That's the biggest punishment. So. Imagine Prince when he has an ent- uh, uh, about 10 airplanes, including 747 gold-bladed from all you have to do, Google him and they will show you his airplanes and mansions and, and stuff like that. You cannot leave the country. For him, that's a death sentence. So you so have this fragmentation of the Roland family and the religious establishment, and the, over, the overwhelming majority of the Saudi population especially the youth, the 75% of the 25 age or below. Despite the initiative, despite Prince Mohammed uh, allowing women to drive or go to sport arena or introducing movies, these things are not revolutionary. These things are not innovative uh, steps. Everybody has been doing this for the last 400 years, since, since movies. Since movies came, people were going to movies. Since cars came, women have been driving cars. So what he did is actually rubbish. But for a country like Saudi Arabia, it's divergent. It's a divergent of, fo- of focusing on the root cause of the problem, which now the Saudi people as a whole not as groups. The ro- everybody now identified the ruling family as their source of the problem, thanks to social media. The social media transformed Saudi Arabia. Prior to the social media, and even though it's illegal in some, and in some ways, the government tried to control it, and they still try, but they cannot because the young generation know how to bust the, the, the security systems. But for the, before the, the first time, the Saudi people actually start to communicate with each other. They, they start to talk to each other. The Shia, the Sunnis, women, men, and dating, and you know, romanticize, and all of this thing. And now they are identifying the common enemy. And the common enemy they see is the royal family because they are the ones who are co- controlling the money. They are controlling the army. They are controlling the security. They are cl- including the religion. They are controlling everything. So everybody knows that's the source of the problem. Not the Shias, not the Sunnis, not the woman, not the minorities, not the Christians, not the Jews, not the Israelis, not the Palestinians, nobody. It's within. That is the biggest problem for the system. That's the biggest factor that make the uh, future of the country unpredictable because there is no, there is no, there is no substitute or there is nothing that people could say, this is ours. See, most Saudis, they call them Saudis, you know, the. The only people on the planet that is actually identified by the regime that rules them are the Saudi people. I'm a Saudi. That means you are a property of the Saudi ruling family. That's exactly what it translates to. So I wrote a recent, uh, anybody who would have my cards here, if anybody, I sh- I'll give you my cards here because you, you should be supporting my work because it's the, the right job to do. I'm doing what I do for America, not for me for our values, for our democracy, for our human rights. Not, not for me personally, I, 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 this is all volunteer work I do. And I sleep in basements and stuff like that. Don't, don't get fooled by the suit and this thing. My daughter my daughter buys it for me. when <laughs> She feels, she feels, Dad, you, you look so grubby, so let me <laughs> spiff you up. I said, okay, so <laughs> she does that. She's a lawyer, a young lawyer uh, working for an uh, abused woman, <laughs> domestic violence, uh, have a son who is here in Washington, D.C. He volunteers to go to Iraq after 9-11 and uh, uh, he, uh, wor- he, he he went to Iraq, he came back, he worked for the Homeland Security, now he works for the uh, Veteran Administration. He's doing PhD in psychology to help uh, veterans with, with problems. That's what he's doing actually. So the family, our family, my spouse is a physician that used to work for uh, poor uh, people in San Francisco, hate Ashbury and, and people who are affected by AIDS and all that kind of thing. So our family actually do our, our share. That's what every American citizen should do. This, the greatest, the reason this country is the greatest or became the greatest in human history is because of its people because of the American ingenuity, because of the American inventiveness, because of the American hard work. It's not because of Trump or Bush or Obama or these creeps that come and tell you, I'm going to save you. Rubbish. It's the American people. It's you. It's the mil- You know my heroes in America? I take this, the train because I didn't have a car. <laughs> So I take the. I have when Bush was president, I used to go to the White House early for meetings and stuff with him. I met him. I like the guy actually. That's smart, but he's a good guy. So, the people that I respect in this country or any country actually, are the people I meet in the train at five or four o'clock in the morning, who are going. To, they have sleep. Have sleepy. But they go to open shops, to open coffee shops, to get things ready for the rest of us when we go to stuff, to have coffee. Those are the people that makes this country great. The Polish people, the fire people. These are the Americans that make America great. But then the scientists, everybody contributes. So the greatest, the the America, greatest success is because of its people. And the reason we are all successful, I I came from a nomadic background to this country, no English, no money, no nothing. But we have opportunities and we are free, we are free to make mistakes. We are free to succeed and we are free to to lose. We are free to get up and, 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 and move on. That's what's so great about democracy. That's why I'm obsessed with our values. That's why I promote the American way of life, American freedom, American values. And we should be focusing on that instead of fighting among ourselves. I'm Republican, I'm Democrat, I'm independent, I'm a Trumpite, I'm all I'm a this and that. This is is not going to make this country any better. What makes this country better is to work together and look at the flag, and that's what we should be supporting. The other other believes in tribalism and stuff, tribalism with ties is <coughs> not going to take us any place, folks. So Saudi Arabia, unpredictability because of its ruling families' disintegration, lack of income because the government expenses have increased and the income has hit bottom because the oil prices were cut in half. That's a big problem because when they used to have money, they used to buy a lot of people. Now, instead of buying people, Instead of buying people, this Prince Mohammed and his father, they are invading people. They are invading Yemen. They are blockading Qatar. They are mm-hmm. occupying Bahrain. They are raising the tension within the region itself, with the Gulf among Arab states, small ones. Uh, fiefdoms. it's fiefdoms, you know, ruled by chief, chiefs, tribal chiefs. With Iran, with Saudis are doing us more harm than good more harm than good when it comes to our national interest. Uh, Saudi ideology, that you all know that, Obama, I mean Obama, Trump himself said that they are, big, they are the biggest funder of terrorism and that their ideology is the biggest threat to our democracy. This is when he was running for election. Now Saudi Arabia was the first country he visited, you know, in May of 2017. His son-in-law, uh, Kushner, uh, is, is, is at bed with Prince Mohammed, he and his wife, uh, uh, whatever, name is, Ivanka uh, Trump. So the, the, point, the point I'm trying to draw in terms of in predictability of Saudi Arabia, we, we put so much stake, we put so much value into the relationship with Saudi Arabia when, in fact, the relationship between the United States and Saudi Arabia has never been between people to people. It has never been between government to government. It has been it between multinationals, multinationals, and ruling family. I'll let you have access to oil, you protect me. And how do you protect me? You tell your government to protect me because you also control your government because you pay a lot of money to get them elected, whether they are congressmen, congresswomen, presidents or anything. Most of these people get money from the Gulf States, from Saudi Arabia from Qatar, from uh, Kuwait, from, you know, all of these, they get money from, you know, you know, folks, one of the things you could do and probably some of them do or some of them have served in Congress or uh, work for Congress, all of your representatives, they come and they have these uh, town, town hall meetings with you and they tell you what you want to hear. If you really want to know what they do, where their money come from, (coughs) you go to the congressional quarterly. Every congressman and woman name is there and where their money come from. You may, some of you have, I'm sure you have a representative, you are Virginians here. Uh, You have representative in the uh, the House of Representatives, in the Senate and everywhere else. You go ahead and find out where the money come from. The man or woman who represent you, most of their money may come from out of different states and foreign governments, not your state. There is a woman in Florida. Somebody investigated her, which that was a smart thing to do. They find out actually 60% of her income come from outside of the country, and 20% come from outside of the state, and only 20% come from her come from the, her uh, constituents. Now, who is... Who is loyalty, who is she going to be loyal to, to the people who pay 20% of her, of her uh, expenses or the other 80%? It doesn't take genius to do, but you could find out. Then one of these Congress people come and ta- said, but look, where you, you, your money come from here. Your money come from here. So how are you going to be loyal to us? You're loyal to the people who pay your way around. I did this to a liberal congressman from California. His name—he used to be George Miller. I don't know if you have heard of George Miller. <coughs> so he came to a town here in California. So I had my list where the money come from, and so I confronted him with it. You know, his his aide followed me to the parking lot. Said, "If you raise that question again, I'll kill you." <laughs> Literally, that's his language. So. There is a risk, of course, in everything, right? But life without risk is not worth living. <laughs> and I'm not talking about risk going shoot people for anything, I'm talking about for values, for values. If we don't have democracy, we are nothing. We are, we are going to be another rogue state, like many states. So I'm, I'm still have, having faith in the American people. Maybe I'm the, I'm the only one who does, actually. Um, I still have faith in the American people, but the American people have to know the truth. They have to know the truth. They are not getting it from our government. They are not getting it from our press. They are getting it from people like myself and other people who are actually sacrificing a lot to promote the American values. You see? So the, 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 the Saudi government has no money to bribe its people anymore. They have no money to bribe anybody Uh, like they used to anymore, that's a problem. The youth who have high expectations that are not being met, most Saudi youth are unemployed. Now they are busy going to movies and chasing women and doing these kinds of things, but that's going to get old. Very quickly. They want something else. And there is nothing to substitute for what they expect to happen, which is their rights. They need to have families. The biggest complaint I hear in the Saudi uh, chat rooms is I cannot buy a house. I don't have a home. I don't have a job. I don't, This is the problem. This is one of the problems. The other things that, that is destabilizing the country is its current foreign policy, regional foreign policy, regional foreign policy. Saudi Arabia is probably more isolated today uh, more than any time in the, in the history of the country, especially after the uh, assassina- assassination of Jamal Khashoggi. So they are isolated from within, within their immediate region, the uh, GCC, the Gulf Cooperation Council, uh, the Prince Mohammed bin Salman because of his blockading of Qatar, invasion of Yemen, uh, isolation or uh, not isolation, mar- try to marginalize Oman and Kuwait, That organization is disintegrated. It's no more anything like it used to be, which was actually started in 1980 to uh, deter the Islamic revolution in in Iran, which is a stupid thing. The whole Gulf state is no match for Iran. 80 million Iranian who believe in martyrdom. And you have a bunch of nomadic people who have very little history. Iran has a history, the Persian civilization, whether you like, look, For me, I have a name for the Saudi Wahhabi and the Mullahs in Tehran, or the uh, the the uh, Republic Revolution. I call them the the, uh, the the two towers, the two towers of evil, the two towers of evil. As long as those two regimes survive in the region, you will have no peace in the region, you will have no stability in the region, and you will have more terrorism and extremism. So our both to me are the same. They are dangerous systems and they are dangerous systems. They are no good for their people, they are no good for us, but we they still have they still have money to be made. There has to be contract, whether it's arms sales, whether it's construction, whether it's security, you know, all of these things. They pay they pay a lot of money for this. So the, this the, the state itself, what Regardless, the state itself today is isolated from the region. Its international image is tarnished. You know, everybody sees when when they see Saudi Arabia, they see Crown Prince Mohammed with a saw on the on the on the map. Globally, not just you know, and the Middle Eastern people do this, see the same thing. The Question we have to ask: Why should we why should we continue? Especially since we become Energy, energy efficient, we are, we are exporter of oil. And we have the upper hand, economically speaking. Uh, I'm talking about the United States. Why should we continue to support a system, any system, like Russia or Saudi Arabia or whatever, support a system that is actually bent and destroying our democracy? And now they are united. Trump is empowering Putin, the Chinese, and emboldening the Saudis, emboldening North Korea, emboldening everybody who actually want to destroy America. We have trouble, folks, at home. So we cannot just, just keep pointing finger outside unless we correct the inside. And my goal, my work, I started this, our center 16 years ago, is because after 9-11, there were so much demand on me from people all over the world to know, they want to know more about Saudi Arabia, about Islam, about the Sharia law, about, so I started the center. It has been run by uh, mostly volunteers all the time, like 99% volunteers, and because of the work we do, because the way I talk, as you hear tonight, and because of what I write and my analysis, you should read our uh, website. I have cards, you could look at our website. Uh, we, are, we are always underfunded. We can barely pay pay for small office or sometimes no office, and pay a government license because you have government license and stuff like that. But I do not care about that part of it. The care is the message. As long as I can get the message out is what I care about, and I'm trying my very best. And I wasn't joking when I said any of you folks who are capable of supporting the work we do, I think it's worth it for you, it's worth it for our country, and the work we do is actually first and foremost for the United States of America, for our democratic values. Not for a party, not for a president, for our democratic values, without which, without which, not only us, but the whole world, will. Keep moving toward totalitarianism. I would recommend a, a an article that was published in the Wall Street Journal, which is not exactly liberal or human rights activist, but because the 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 art and I don't like the writer of the article either. But it's called it's called the cost for American retreat. The cost for um, or of, of american retreat and the and the writer is uh, robert kagan whom i have never liked and we never got along but frankly speaking that's an article that's worth reading he did an amazing job in writing that article and it's true so we have a lot of our work is cut for us we have a lot to do and we can't do it we can't do it american There is nothing, that's what I said, I still have faith in the American people. There's nothing the American people cannot do if they know the truth, if they know the truth. So I will stop here.
0: What's happened to Prince Sponder?
1: What happened to Prince Sponder? That's a good question. He's under house arrest actually. He cannot leave the country. His daughter is the ambassador now. His daughter, is the Saudi ambassador to Washington, D.C. But he's under house arrest. And he's one of the people who is very mad. So that's that's a problem. He's, only, he's not the only one. There are many powerful princes like him that are under house arrest. And he's very sick. You know, he's alcoholic. His health is bad. He's under house arrest. But his daughter represents the government. Yes, sir?
0: What's it going to take for being over- to take hold
1: in Saudi Arabia? No, I, I okay, so what, 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 sorry. I,
0: what, what is it gonna take for meaningful reforms to take
1: hold in Saudi Arabia? It's actually a good question. And this is what we have been promoting, sharing power, sharing power with the people. The Saudi government, all of them for the last 300 years have relied and depended on foreign powers to protect them. They have never tried to give people incentive, the Saudi people incentive, to participate in the, pol- the policy decision-making, to protect their country. I mean, people, any people, you are not gonna be uh, productive or loyal unless you have a stake in something. If you, are, if you, if you work for a company, that abuse you. You are not going to be loyal to that company. You will be looking for a job everywhere else. So that it will share power with people, you still be the king, but be a nice king if such <coughs> thing exists. Share power. First of all, there is a consultative council, national consultative council that uh, represent. You know, the king appoint people from different regions. It's appointed. And they call it consultative council. It has no power at all. They take the order from the king. They stamp, uh, rubber stamp, what he passes to them. That council should be elected. That national. It could be a national assembly, elected. Okay. That will be a very good start right there. But there are also Saudi Arabia made made of many different regions. There should be local councils that are. Res- responsible for their own local people problems and issues, but they have to have some independence, they have to have some budgets, which they don't. There are councils, local councils, but they have no money, they have their authority, and there was election, actually, in 2011 or something, but the people who got elected, they were sent home because they they have no assignment. So so there is no... But share power with people, especially now, because you need them more than ever before, especially this... uh, Prince Mohammed, who will be probably, probably not sure, but he could be, probably will be the next king. He needs support from the young people. The, look, I, I, he, Prince Mohammed has a, an opportunity, golden opportunity to do the reform we are talking about, to, to, to transform society. Saudi Arabia, I, I didn't want to take, I didn't want to transform that country or to change. It's one of the most difficult places to do. And some of what he did has to be done, like putting these princes in prison, you know, like curtailing the power of the, uh, of the uh, religious. But he didn't substitute it with anything. He took all the power. He took all the power from the other royals, and he took all the power from the religious establishment, and put it under his control. So he's the only god in town. There were many gods before. And sometimes it's better to have many gods. In case one of them gets mad, you go to the other one. But he is the only god in town now. He took all their powers, and he now is in control of it all. So that is not very good in terms of the future of the country, either. That's very destabilizing from within, from within. This gentleman here.
0: What, What would it take to reduce
2: the animosity between Iran and Saudi Arabia?
1: That's a very good question. Those two people, they have more in common than they have more differences. They, frankly speaking, they need each other. <laughs> they need each other to fool their people. The Persians say, Sunni Muslims want to kill you, which is probably true. The, the Shia, the, the, the government in Iran
2: is
1: as, 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 as extremist terrorist funding system as the Saudis. They, both, they are both the same. So they need each other for domestic consumption. They need each other to control their own people. They need each other to get favorable foreign policies from Russia or China or America or somewhere else. So if you think those two governments are actually going to kill each other, that's nonsense. They need each other. And we will be stupid people to make one of them better than the other. Because once the other one disappear, if the Persian uh, uh, clerics go, you will have Saudi clerics and they have no competition. But I don't think that uh, what you hear, the, 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 the pronunciations made by these regimes. I think it's for international public consumptions, especially for us. Iran is going to destroy American interests and probably will do if they can, uh, but, but those two governments, they need each other. They, are, they don't want to see one disappear. One example, just to give an example, both of them, the Iranians and the Saudis, when we went to Iraq in 2003, which could have been actually a very successful move. Oh, when, when, when we went, uh, can you hear me, people? When we went to Iraq in 2003, what could have been very successful move if the plan was good, but the plan was stupid. But still, but still, the uh, Iraq is, today, Iraq is more freer than any Arab government because of that invasion, actually. Iraq, there are more TV station in Iraq today, more free media, (coughs) more free radio stations than at any time in the Iraqi history. And that is the result of that invasion. It could have been a whole lot better and successful through the whole region. But the the plan was messy. And nobody was thinking ahead of the game. The people who were planning it asked me a question actually. What is the best way to succeed? And this is exactly what I told them. Make sure the Saudis and the Iranians never touch them. And interestingly enough, after the war, the, that didn't happen actually because the Saudis and the Iranis, that's my point, they were both from both ends trying to kill the Iraqi uh, democratization process which we in, 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 introduced, that, that invasion actually. So that, that tells you why they need each other because neither of them want to see a democratic system on their borders. They don't, and they are not stupid. These people are clever. They are cunning people. They know what they are doing. If anybody is stupid, it's not them. It's some other people. So they, they don't want, they didn't want democracy in Iran. They did not want democracy in Saudi Arabia. They try to, still trying to destroy democ- whatever democracy in Iraq, as, as you all know. So let's, let's not fool each other. Listen to this demagoguery is telling you this is better than the other guys. They are not. They are the same.
2: No. One con have
1: to, one get, it, get the microphone closed, like, because these oh, people okay. should hear it. How is that? Up, up,
2: there you go. Better?
1: It's okay. okay, go ahead, I can't, can't hear you. Me. I can't hear you, go ahead.
2: Of course. Uh, first, I've been, uh, this is a comment, I've been extensively through uh, Iran, and I find the mullahs to be very responsive and available to people, ordinary
1: people. The Iranian people?
2: Yes. Um, you know, whether it's getting a loan, whether it's, you know, a judicial problem <laughs> or... Oh, wow. So, um, to me, that shows the strength of the Mullah's power across Iran. Um, that's my comment. My question is, is the war in Yemen going to be the, un- the undoing of Prince uh, Muhammad?
1: Well, I agree with you about the Iranian people. I mean, they are actually the Iranian people are actually the the closest ally to the American system, Uh, especially when the Shah was in power. He wasn't good, but he's a whole lot better than the creeps that run the country now. But the Iranian people, most of them are 25 years and younger. They didn't consider themselves Arabs. They didn't like Islam because
0: Islam,
1: Islam is an Arab religion. Islam is an Arab religion. It's not Asian, it's nobody else. Arabs took Islam and shoved it in everybody's throat, whether you like it or not. Not Asian, not So, Iranian actually, until today, I know lots of Iranians, I work with some of them, and uh, they consider consider the, the, the Sunni Muslims or Islam in general, as a backward religion and they are are right in in terms of democracy, women's rights, human rights, the Sharia Allah is a bad system. Everybody, interestingly enough, many Arabs now and many Muslims, actually there is an article, a survey by a global organization, I forget the name, and the title of it that Arabs are losing, Muslims are losing faith in Islam and in their leaders. And I didn't blame them because I have seen it coming. I have always tell people my work, our, our educational work. I don't tell people what to do most of the time, but I tell them, I ask questions in our media, my meetings, my, do you need, I ask the Saudi people, for example, do you need somebody to tell you how to pray, to tell you how to get married? to tell you how to fast, can you judge for yourself or do you need somebody to tell you? And this is a question that seems, at the beginning that, that I was atheist or Zionist or a, a, a Christian this or that, people always express themselves the way they can. So now they are actually doing and saying the same thing I was saying 20, 30 years ago, because it's sticking in their mind. Of course, I mean, I, I get a lot of very angry email from lots of Saudis expected. For one reason, they have to prove to their government they don't like what I say. But, and I know that. But most of them actually (coughs) today are asking the legality of the Sharia law. They are asking, well, they didn't ask it loud, but they do. They question Islam, they question the Sharia and its application, Uh, they question the government policies. That's part of why the why the regime in Saudi Arabia or the the future of the country is unpredictable because there are so many different questions, different angles, different anger, different expectations that the system can never, it's by itself, meet them. That's why it is very important to share power with the people because when you are responsible, when you feel you are part of the system, you share responsibility. Today, everybody fingers uh, the, to the king and his son because uh, all the power's in their hands. So our, uh, what we are recommending, and this is, when you go to our website, and I strongly recommend you do that, go to our talking points, there is a menu which says about us, click that, it will tell you what we promote. We are promoting something actually that will benefit the royal family, that will benefit the people, and, and that will benefit the, uh, our values, the United States of America. So that we, we are the only one who have our agenda set in our system. This is what we promote, nothing hidden. Okay. So yeah, the war in Yemen uh, is is a, is a, a travesty. I know. I was born on the border of Saudi Arabia and Yemen. I, I live here, and there is a mountain. I climb the mountain. I'm in the Yemen side, And the Houthi actually side, the Houthi region. The Yemenis are the, mo- the most poverty-stricken people in the Middle East, 26 million of them. <clears throat> they are the most fierce people in the Middle East. They are mountain people. They might be poor, but don't touch their property, don't touch their region, don't touch their... They, they are the least practicing Muslims. They pray what they want, and they don't pray. And actually, Yemen is the only country where Shia and Sunni pray in the same church, mosque. Only the whole Arab world and Muslim world. So, and, and the Saudis should have known that nobody has ever won a war in Yemen. Nobody. Not the Crusaders, not the uh, Ethiopians, not the Ottomans, not the British, nobody. So why go to a war with a neighbor that you could gain by being nice to them? In, in 1996, uh, the Saudi government approached me, said, we know you have connection with the Yemenis and they like you because you are against us and i'm not against i tell this i'm not against you i'm against your policies you for me we can't go and have dinner and glass of wine and party you know that's not the issue it's not you it's what you do but they approached me to write a uh, uh uh survey or a proposal what is it what's the best way to get yemen be nice to us so you i went and i visited all yemen i i, I know yemen since i was a child and I wrote it and I gave it to two people. One of them was uh, a child, a friend of mine, who became a special advisor to King Fahad before he died. The other one is the Amir of Najran, my region, a Suderi guy from the Suderi family, who is a powerful uh, family uh, in Saudi Arabia. And I gave it to them. And the Amir <laughs> of Najran said, this is rubbish. He dropped rub it. <laughs> what I told them, build roads, build hospitals, okay. build schools, People have to have something to hold into. Employment, good health system, good water uh, system. Most Yemenis I don't have running water. Electricity, simple things. You will get a good neighbor. They said, no, this is not gonna work. The other guy, the, my uh, child uh, friend, handed it to King Fahad. King Fahad said, oh, this is so expensive. I, 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 when I did the survey and the proposal, I brought it with me to California, I, I Contacted a contractor, contractors uh, of all the people, uh, Bechtel Bechtel Company, which is one of the biggest beneficiaries of of this Saudi money. It's in San Francisco. I said, how much will this cost? $20 billion. This is in 1996, which is actually a very cheap price for doing those things I suggested. Electricity, water pipes, roads, hospitals, these things that people need and it will, it will give them employment, and it will give them something to feel good about. Because if you have something to co- protect, you are not going to destroy it. See? And they, they, I asked the guy, and I, I, I met with him again, and I said, what happened to that proposal you guys asked me to give to you? He said, well, I give it to the king, and I didn't know what happened. I, 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 you know. So probably he trashed it, too. Uh, so the war on Yemen is a mistake. It is, it is not going to stop. The Saudis have created 26 million Yemenis as enemies. Uh, the, the Yemenis at this point, they have nothing to lose. They have nothing to lose before the war, but now they have absolutely nothing to lose. Their country is destroyed. Their people are uprooted. Diseases are all over the country. And it is because of this invasion that could have been avoided. It could have been avoided because the argument, which I know is not correct. The argument is to make sure Iran doesn't have a proxy on the, our border. Yemenis don't care about Iran. I have never in my experience in Yemen heard one Yemeni say anything good about Iran. Nothing. They are Arabs, you know, smoking gati a lot, which is a drug that Yemenis smoke, and uh, get drugged. But they are very nationalist people. No government in Yemen, including the Imam, have been able to rule the country. In fact, the imam who ruled uh, uh, the imam uh, family, they ruled Yemen for 1,000 years. They were not able to rule more than Sana'a, the capital. Every region is running itself. And the reason he was able, the imam was able to control the country is he goes to the tribal chiefs and take their sons and bring them to Sana'a put them in prison, and if they do anything, the chiefs that might undermine the Imam authority, he killed their sons. So he held them hostage too. So Yemen is not a place you play games with. And I don't know why this guy, uh, King Salman and Prince Mohammed, went to this uh, stupid you know, war that has no end to it at all. Uh, and he, this gentleman here. social causes, particularly the youth, uh, that uh, constitute the majority or nearly the majority
2: in many Arab countries, and in Iran as well, uh, have erupted uh, over the years in street manifestations, some of them very, very serious, uh, in rebellion against the prevailing corruption in their capital cities. Why have the Saudi youth Uh, who suffer from the same uh, disadvantages vis-à-vis their ruling authority. Why have they not
1: gone to the street? That's a a very good question. People ask me that question all the time, actually. And I don't know exactly why, but the Saudi have been religiously indoctrinated to obey authority, obey the king, obey what the king pushes out. That's part of it. The other part of it is sheer fear. The Saudis are among probably the most terrorized people in the world today, and the and the and the and the the, the expression in Saudi Arabia is inclusive. It's uh, uh, the the, the <coughs> North Korea, it's totalitarian system. Uh, Iran is totalitarian system. Many Arab countries and Muslim countries, but it is not as inclusive as in Saudi Arabia. Uh, in Saudi Arabia, it is, of Russian, alcohol is not allowed, until recently movies were not allowed. Um, government hand out, giving people money. They depend upon the government for food and everything else. Uh, no political uh, freedom of any kind. Uh, so people are f- frightened for good reason, because they chop-chop their heads in the public squares, you know? And flogging them, and it's going on. Uh, when uh, when this Khashoggi was killed, uh, Prince Muhammad has to establish Prince Mohammed has has to establish his authority. Because he's youngish, nobody knows him. Most of the people before him are elder, you know, senior princes, they go and sit with people in the tent and drink coffee and sing and that kind of thing, you know, and play with the sword and he is he came from nowhere. So he has to establish a name for him fear by fear, a name by fear. that's why they chu what's his name hit I mean uh, a and it worked for him actually not only inside Saudi Arabia but outside Saudi Arabia. you know the the, the, killer, the uh, murder of Hashogi in the Saudi consulate in uh, Istanbul, Turkey in, in October two, twenty eighteen. 2018. Send chilling feeling among liberal uh, Western liberal journalists, investigative journalists, and other people. I spoke with many people like that. Said, we, we, we are afraid to go to the Middle East. We are, afraid to go to, we are afraid to speak out freely. So it's affecting us as well. But he has to do that too. He doesn't really have to do it. In order for him to be fear king, because the Saudis believe in the Machiavellian, Machiavellian uh, theory, the, the prince should be feared, not loved, and that's exactly what Prince Mohammed is, has done and what he's doing. And this is this is the whole system. And in order for Saudi Arabia to be reformed, the gentleman who asked about what it takes to reform the country, is to change the system. The system is the problem. Individuals are practicing the system that they inherited from the from. Uh, their history and their culture and their religion and stuff like that. So look, the only the only way any society can succeed <coughs> succeed in all fields, <coughs> human rights, industry, is uh, when you have democracy. Uh, you know, have to have you have to be free to think freely, to talk freely without being you know killed, and and produce and make mistakes. You know, uh, mistakes are the portals. Uh, m- 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 mistakes are the portals of discovery. You see, so, b- S- Saudis are Saudis are t- terrorized, especially after this Khashoggi guy. I know a group of Saudi women, actually, and men who came to ask uh, uh, asylum in this country in Canada. South. I used to communicate with them, and they have visited me in my home, and we try to build uh, a group, Saudi community here. And when Khashoggi was murdered, that was over interestingly enough all the saudis that uh, sought uh, immigration to the west are denouncing islam men and women all of them yes because they know islam is the uh, at the end of the day at the end of the day the sharia law the dictate of islam and the teaching of islam is the problem you know it is, it is if it's not if it doesn't fit somebody it's it's infidels it's infidel's creation to destroy Islam. You see, that's, that's, religion has to be transformed. That's, that's number one, too. But not, it has to be reinterpreted. It has to be, and, and separate the mosque from the state, you know, Christianity and, uh, was, in, was in the dumps before they separated the Bible from, Ra- I mean, you know, some of you are Catholics and some of you are historian, you have know about uh, Christianity. And only the age of enlightenment changed that. When the, when, the, when the church and the, but the church is free to speak. The church is free to do whatever it wants to do under the rule of law. In Arab and Muslim countries, there are no rule of law. There are rule of kings and presidents and Sharia law. And those are losers, all of that. I've been saying this all my life. So this work I do now is most, I have done it since I was a little boy actually.
0: What was,
1: what do you see as the uh, role of the Saudi government
0: in 9-11 attacks? And where? The 9/11. the 9-11 attacks.
1: What was the oh, I, I, role I, of
0: the Saudi
1: yeah, government? I have, I have heard what you have heard in dread, But some of the people who are connected to the terrorists at least were Saudi employees. They were getting their money from the Saudi uh, embassy. They were visiting the Saudi embassy. They got checks from Prince Bandar's uh, wife. Somebody asked a question about former. Uh, and there is no way that any Saudi uh, who's still living in Saudi Arabia or outside Saudi Arabia will ever do anything without at least an from the king or it has, has to be the king or. Uh, crown prince or somebody big inside the royal family, so I believe I believe they have a role <laughs> to play. The, mo- the other thing that is more dangerous than the knife uh, in head, of the head is the ideology. Those people kill because they really believe they will go to heaven. It's, this is what God wants them to do: kill the infidel, destroy the infidel. That's part of it. But part of it is they want to hurt the people that support their oppressor or support the regimes whom are whom they are accusing of being less Muslims, you know, like, like Bin Laden, his biggest problem with the Saudi royal family, you know, Bin Laden is the biggest, uh, uh, richest family next to the royal family in Saudi Arabia. They still are, you know. His biggest problem with the, with the United States and the West is their support for the Saudi government because the Saudi government, they consider that Saudi government is corrupt, which is very true, but it becomes less Islamic so islam has played the whole the ideology Wahhabism. so but they, i think they have they have played a i i took i took talk, i talked talk to some princes and princesses you know i meet in conferences or one of them one of the people i know is in jail now and princess actually and uh, many of them have told me indirectly i asked them the same question you asked me but i'm not Blonde American woman, one of them, you know, said, Look, just tell me, tell me, you know, the Americans always accuse the Saudis of doing this or that, and how about the role in 9 11? One of them told me exactly this there is no way in hell those people uh, who are connected to the terrorists would have done it with this, without the uh, royal uh, approval. I mean, so, no, many, it's interesting actually, you know, but most. I should be also defending the Saudi prince and princesses who have stick their heads out. I uh, Some of them are really like a lot and some of them become friends of mine at, an, at personal level. And I know their first priority and first and most priority is the survival of the fam- their family. And the reason for that is the money because they know if the royal family is not controlling everything, the big free checks are not going to come in. So they want to maintain that, but they also Became educated in Europe, and and some of them got educated in uh, uh, Arab countries like like in Lebanon, for example. I know a bunch of Saudi princes who went to Jesuit schools <laughs> in Lebanon, for example, and uh, so they they become they bec- they their conscience began to, to to nag them. You know this is not right, but they want their family to be transformed in some ways. Actually, so a lot of what I just told you tonight, not in this. A blunt language, but a lot of it has been said by a prince, his, the father of Prince Al-Walid. The father, his, his name is Dalal. Dalal bin Abdul Aziz, half-brother of King Salman, who died recently. But he has been calling for constitution. He even wrote a, 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 which I have, if anybody wants uh, to see it, an article in the Washington Post saying that in this country, like in Saudi Arabia, we are the rulers and the masters. He, he wrote, he said it that much. So some of them have spoken out, but they don't have the power to change the big picture in the country. So I should be actually including, uh, uh, my issue is if I, I know a lot of people in Saudi Arabia who have sacrificed and still do, but if I mention their names, me, it's death sentence. So I st- I try to stay away from it. I have worked with some of them. People ask me, when you apply for a grant or anything, what have you done in Saudi Arabia? I said, if I tell you, I'll be, I will be betraying what I am promising and what I am what I am doing because I know if I mention names, those people <laughs> will be hanged, you know, because they will say they and I are conspiring with. Well, they say they used to call it Zionists, but now the Zionists and the Saudis are uh, sleeping together because the Saudis need the protection since Trump and his crew are not protecting them as much as Obama and Bush and the others. So. Uh, now it's, now they are accusing me of of, of of being paid by Iran. Iran is the big bunch now, you know, you have to have point to It was Israel for 60 years, but when when they, that, that outlived its uh, effectiveness, they went to Iran. If Iran goes, somebody else, you know, they will find somebody, you know, they will find somebody. <laughs> yes, sir. <coughs>
0: Is there a, a problem in terms of there being enough money for the vast numbers of members of the royal family? I've read somewhere that it's becoming a real problem.
1: It is a problem <laughs> not just for the royal princes because the uh, the they, the salaries. There are thousands apparently. Uh, huh? There are
2: thousands of
1: them. Oh yeah, They're the 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 first the first blood-related group in the family is probably about two three thousand. They are they are the one who get a lot of money but they have extended relatives. So their monthly income, monthly income (coughs) of free checks, ranges from 275,000 for the top ones to 8,000 to the little ones. So that's a lot of money for 10, 20,000 people. But the money is shrinking, actually the deficit, the Saudi deficit for the last three years is 60, 70 billion dollars a year. That's a lot of money, and there is no There is no light at the end of the channel because the oil prices will never go to $120 again thanks to our fracking here in this country. (coughs) You know, fracking, busting the rocks. You know, busting the rocks. (laughs) Humble the Saudis and the Russians and everybody. But the the expenditures and these wars and these invasions is costing a lot of money, you see? And uh, there is no money income. And Prince Mohammed has this vision, 2030, And he was hoping that the Western investor, the big banks, the big, will put the money to bail him out and to resuscitate the Saudi economy. Well, nobody's coming. Nobody is coming. Even by selling some shares in Aramco. They don't, they stay away because the country is very unstable, especially after the attacks uh, by Iran, or at least everybody said it's Iran and, uh, and the Saudi oil refineries. There is no stability, there is no security. And investors are becoming smarter. Why should put our money that's not going to pay uh, big money for the long haul? And nobody have interest in the long. I mean, faith in the long haul. Uh, Ali,
0: if I may, uh, or Mike, do you have another? Do you want to ask the last question? If I may. Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> Saudi Arabia, if it breaks up, everybody talks about Iraq breaking up, and even. Iran breaking into its ethnic compositions, and so forth. Uh, no, I have heard or read little or no talk about Saudi Arabia breaking up into its regional and or tribal uh, constituents. Uh, would you address the possibilities of, of the Najranis, for example, uh, uh, splitting off and joining <laughs> Yemen, or going it alone, or going with the uh, series? <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, that's a Well, that's a good question, uh, the uh, frang- fragmentation of the country. And uh, that's a big, that's, that has been haunting the ruling family for decades, for, yeah. The one that is really want to split from the Saudi state is the Hejaz region. Jeddah, where you have been, Mecca, Medina, the Hejaz region. Most of the people in that region uh, are not originally nomadic people. There are people who came from different countries of the world to go to mecca and medina to b- b- perform their islamic uh, duties but they stay so it's multicultural area most of them are more educated secularly because they have not been exposed to this wahhabi indoctrination until even when the wahhabis invaded the uh, hijaz in 1926 they didn't go to wahhabi schools around they stuck with their own schools and stuff, but there is potential that, that there, will be, there will be defection by some regions. The northern region which is close to Iraq and to Jordan and to Syria <coughs> is, is also very unhappy actually with the, with, the, uh, with, the, with the government in Riyadh because they have been accused of being less Muslims because of their exposure to more or less religious Arab countries and Arab communities. So there is resentment by the government toward them and they didn't like the central government because the central government is not paying a lot of money on them because they are accusing them of being loyal to, to other countries or they are afraid they may actually go to Iraq and Syria and Jordan, stuff like that. Uh, the Hashemite Kingdom, they still there is a fear that actually uh, the Hashemite Kingdom might claim the Hijaz region because that's King Abdullah and his relatives because they used to rule Hijaz before the Saudis took it from them in the 20s with the help of Great Britain. So there, there are Eastern Saudi Arabia, as mostly the Shi'ats who have been oppressed, but that's where the oil industry is. Uh, is There's a potential that they may actually join other Shi'ats in the Gulf, other Gulf states, and likely form a Shi'at uh, communities in these states and become a state of their own, or join Iran or something. So the country, Saudi Arabia, the unpredictability of the future of the country, is 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 multifaceted from different areas, different regions, different groups, and the only way to really uh, unite that country, stabilize that country, and making it a more moderate, tolerant uh, community, a member of the international community, is to give domestic, I mean, local local council, local governors, local. Some powers to build their own region. Everything now has to go through Riyadh, through Prince Mohammed, and that is not going to work anymore because people know better. People are not anymore nomadic people, as I said. They spend more time on TV, uh, phone, internet, you know, satellite TV, and, and all of these things. It's the the mentality of the people have changed. The mentality of the ruling family remain the same. The country is ours. That's what King Salman. Always, his lifelong philosophy, we took the country by the sword, we will keep it by the sword. That's exactly what his half, full brother uh, Prince Naif, when he was alive, before he got killed, the, the, the royal family, some royal family told me that he was uh, poisoned by, by King Abdullah in, in Geneva, uh, 2012, I believe. But uh, uh, he said that. He met with Saudi reformers, he met with them and he said, "I don't want you. If you open your mouths, I'll cut your tongue." He, and he showed the knife. It wasn't uh, YouTube. I'll cut your tongues. If, you, if you talk about become participant in the decision process, we took the country by the sword and we will keep it by the sword. Yeah. And that's exactly the mentality of King Salman. And King Salman of all the royal royal princes, he believes in that more than anybody. He have said it. He has an interview with many uh, Westerners and he told them that that uh, King Fahad King Fahad told told President Carter. He told them, no, uh, democracy is not our bag of beans, you know. We don't we don't we don't believe in this stuff. That's heathen, <coughs> that's your philosophy. The king is the one who should be ruling, not not others. They have made it clear to everybody. So but I'm concerned, Saudi Arabia is my motherland. I love the country, I love the people. I'm an American citizen. The only passport I think I would consider carrying today is the American passport. Otherwise, I will be a passportless person. But the thing is, the, 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 the role we kind of play, we, can, we still have a huge role. This country is very powerful. We still have the most powerful economy. We have the most powerful, uh, we have the most powerful military. We have the most, bo- we have, look, I travel the world for the work I do. I get invited by people and I go and party, give talks like I do here tonight. And, and they pay for it because we can't afford to do any of this stuff. And people in the past, before Trump came to power, they used to look up to America, especially because the conferences I go to are human rights conferences for help, for guidance, for support, for pressure on their governments. Since, since this administration came in, all the people that used to look up to America now look down on America. And frankly speaking, this is no good. This is no good. Because America is the beacon of liberty for all oppressed people and for oppressed women, for, you know, and, and that's what makes this country the greatest in human history its democratic values, its way of life, its freedom, the dress, the dress codes, you know, all of this stuff. This, this is, we cannot, we cannot do without that. So nobody think that we can, the gun is not gonna do it for us. The gun is not gonna do it. What will do it for us is the American values. And there are millions and millions and millions of people all around the world who d- die for our values, who die, literally die, or go to jail. Like, like the Saudi women. There are a group of Saudi women who was arrested by Prince Mohammed for, for, for mostly because they talk to uh, Western journalists and communicate with Western uh, human rights groups like Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, us and other people. And they, they, they beat them, they bail them, they rape them. And they are still suffering, some of them, in, in prison. F- that's because they want our values. They want to be free to speak. They want to have a voice. These are our true allies, folks. This is the people we want to embolden. You know? Okay, I'll stop. I told you I could talk until we all Uh, uh, die.